You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 17, Finding the Plant-Based Solution with Dr. Joel Kahn, America's Healthy Heart Doc. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant based nutrition habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome to Dr. Joel Kahn. He is one of the world's leading cardiologists, a best-selling author and popular speaker. I've had the privilege of hearing him speak more than once. There's his fancy stethoscope. He is a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University of Medicine in Detroit and is the founder of the Kahn Center for Cardiac Longevity. His first book was The Whole Heart Solution, but since then he's published five other books, including his most recent book, The Plant-Based Solution, which is fantastic. But I think my favorite title for any of your books is Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses. That's, a, that's just a great title. He lives with his wife and three children in the Detroit area, where he also is a restaurateur. He owns a restaurant called The Green Space Cafe. Dr. Khan, thank you so much for being thank on my podcast you. today. Thank you. Nice to see you again, and thank you for that super duper introduction. Well, you are quite welcome. I loved your book. And one of the reasons that I loved The Plant-Based Solution is because it's so well-rounded. You talk about how a plant-based diet can help decrease our risk for several diseases, including, of course, cardiac diseases, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, autoimmune disease. But the reason I really loved your book is because you also discuss ethical and environmental reasons why we may want to consider eating in this way. So I want to start off with a controversial question right from the get-go, okay? Okay. So you discuss in this book that you've been eating a plant-based diet for over 40 years. Right. And some people have said, and I've heard especially after watching some of the documentaries, that um, whenever we eat this way for ethical reasons or other reasons besides the health and scientific benefits, that it might be a conflict of interest and that it biases us and that maybe people can't trust us as experts. What's your response to that? Yeah, you know, there's the issue of what I want to do for my own life, but I feel, a, and I'm sure you feel the same way, a extremely high obligation to make uh, the best recommendation to patients I can, you know, within our knowledge limits. And I said this, I had the honor about a month ago to go to Google headquarters in Mountain View 
and give a presentation called at Google Talks. It's a pretty well-known series that ends up on YouTube. And I was discussing, debating this with somebody with different nutritional views of mine. Uh, as you said, there's a whole spectrum. And I said very sincerely, and I say it again, if data came out that I could tell my heart patients, your blood pressure, your blood cholesterol, your waistline, and your blocked arteries would improve by eating meat, cheese, and eggs, I would be morally obligated and I would recommend that. If there was really a study that was scientifically valid that said take away broccoli, sweet potatoes, and black beans and put in butter, cheese, turkey, fish, and steak, I would say that's not something I choose to do and haven't done for decades, but it's my obligation to give you the best recommendation. It's obviously a farcical scenario, but I would actually do that. Um, and, you know, I have to point out the few places of data where a planned diet with some fish in it has had some scientific support, the pesco vegan, I wouldn't even call it pesco vegetarian. Those are isolated pockets, but that's because it has to be scientifically integral. You can't, you can't, you know, introduce this bias. And, you know, there was a response. There's a well-known author, Nina Teichels, with a very bad book called Big Fat Surprise because it's so incorrect. But she attacked the movie, What the Hell? You just take away everything Dr. Greger said. He's a vegan. Whoa, like he doesn't have a brain or an MD or a scientific integrity. They were everything Dr. Barnard said. So out of, I think it was like 71 arguments in the movie that were presented, there were the three that were left that weren't stated by a physician or a scientist that just happens to choose to eat plant-based. But that doesn't make that scientist you know, biased. You know, I, I have a restaurant. That's a bias. But I'm serving a one small community in suburban Detroit, and I'm speaking to the world. Uh, very few of the experts I know in the plant-based world own broccoli sprout companies or, you know, they're not set. We all write books if you want to write books or maybe have a DVD, but, you know, we're talking large businesses. We're not biased by economic, you know, conflicts in any way. You, you brought up butter is back, you know, uh, the whole debate on fat. Right now, we are fat-centric. Everybody wants to jump on this high-fat bandwagon. And part of it, I think, is because it's true that fat is delicious, but is, is butter back? Should we be eating butter? Should we be rolling around in coconut oil and throwing everything coconut, putting it in our coffee? Right. So, you know, the uh, human body seems to be very adaptable and resilient. So there are traditional communities like Okinawa, Japan, a famous island during World War II, and more famous because maybe the longest lived people in the world traditionally lived on Okinawa, where they ate a diet that was less than 10% of calories from fat naturally. You didn't find butter, cream cheese, olive oil. It's Japan. And they thrived and they had low disease rates and high longevity rates and what's called health span. They were active in their 90s. Now, it's changed a bit because there is fast food on Okinawa and there's processed food that traditionally never was present. And they're suffering some of the diseases that you get when you introduce Western food to a isolated and very healthy community. On the other hand, there's islands, Sardinia, an island off of Italy, and uh, Icaros, an island off of Greece, where they use a lot of olive oil, a natural plant-based fat. And they also have uh, achieved great longevity. None, the only country I'm aware of that ate butter to excess, take away what I just mentioned, this diversity in plant-based fat content, and yet there are examples of both being very healthy. 
would be you'd point to Finland. And Finland in the 70s had the highest heart attack rate in the world for men around mm -hmm. age 40. They were literally dropping dead like flies. It became a governmental crisis because the production of lumber and other jobs was being threatened by the lack of uh, you know, strapping young men that could do that. And they instituted a program where they taught the public to substitute butter, actually with margarine, to reduce the amount of cheese, egg, sausage. It was a public campaign, first starting in a part of Finland called North Karelia. It extended to the whole country. And they had an 85% drop in heart attack within five years, sustained for decades by eliminating or reducing butter and other animal saturated fats from meat and cheese. So we have those examples. So we know that there is a diversity of how much plant-based fats in the content of avocados, olives, nuts, those are all on my plate uh, and most of my heart patients' plate. There are a few particularly tender and brittle heart patients I uh, am very careful even about, quote, healthy fats. But they're never animal-based fats. And I would even extend it, they're not tropical oil fats because there's enough data to suggest that palm oil and coconut oil, uh, despite all the media and the glitz, really don't have any strong data to be healthful at best, we can say they may be harmful or neutral, but why add them in the mix? So that's the bottom line. Butter's not back. It wasn't back in Finland. It was killing people in Finland along with the rest of their lifestyle. We forget these historical experiments that are profound and uh, were done by an entire government. I mean, I've written a blog when an entire country ate better. It's amazing the health outcome in a very short time frame. Finland is really interesting because it uh, talks about a very young public health advocate and how he pretty much went house to house and taught people how to cook differently. And one of the things he did is go to the sausage producers and they started replacing some of the meat with beans. And right. that's the power of beans for you. I think I advocate for beans every day in people's diet because they really do have a powerful health benefit. As a cardiologist, should we be concerned about our cholesterol numbers for optimum heart health? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And again, there's some people refer to this as the cholesterol confusionist. So there's two aspects of that. There's dietary cholesterol and then there's our blood cholesterol. And uh, there's two ways we get cholesterol into our blood. One is our liver is constantly producing cholesterol and in fact produces all the cholesterol you need to be a backbone to cell membranes, vitamin D, sex, sex steroid hormones and such, because I haven't eaten dietary cholesterol for 40 years. And I can tell you my vitamin D level and my testosterone level, and I believe my brain membranes are firing pretty good um, because you can make all you need in your liver. Now, if I were to start eating a lot of animal products, I'd be adding a lot of dietary cholesterol or a lot of egg yolk. I'd be adding a lot. I don't need to do that. My liver's done a very good job for four decades providing me with what I need just as I need it. Um, so there is a confusion about one, maybe the need for dietary cholesterol, no. And then that confusion about does dietary cholesterol raise your blood cholesterol? And um, when carefully done studies were done in the 60s and 70s, and when frankly the egg board and the dairy board wasn't funding such studies with the frequency they do fund scientific studies on the topic now, it was pretty consistent. You take a average American in the 60s, put them in what's called a metabolic ward study, feed them eggs, their cholesterol went up. Feed them cheese, their cholesterol went up. Uh, dietary cholesterol raises blood cholesterol. Now, we're all prone to being overweight and overloaded with dietary fats of animal and processed origin. 
it's harder nowadays to reproduce that experiment. We're not the same nation. We're heavier. We eat more junk food. People use the analogy, if you took a group of non-smokers and put them on a pack a day and followed them, you'd probably be able to prove health measures that were deteriorating from that. If you took a group of smokers that smoked a pack a day and you increased one group to 24 cigarettes a day, it'd be very hard to show that difference between 20 and 24 cigarettes. So when you take an average American in 2018 and you do a study where you add two eggs a day and their cholesterol doesn't rise all that much, it's pretty much like 20 cigarettes going to 24. Your average American already is overloaded with excess dietary cholesterol, eggs, cheese, chicken, pizzas, baked goods, and all the rest. Then you get to blood cholesterol. And there are some people, confusionists, that will tell you you need a high blood cholesterol to support your brain membranes and support your hormones, the same kind of thing I mentioned. When indeed, worldwide studies uh, demonstrate many populations where their blood cholesterol is 130, 140, 150, these longevity, these blue zone pockets, many cardiology studies. We just, to wrap it up, a big study out of Madrid published at the end of 2017, a series of studies. Um, asymptomatic 45-year-old bank workers in Madrid. It's called the PISA trial, P-E-S-A. They scanned their arteries and found out that almost half of them had silent aging of their arteries that these people were unaware of. You just have to do ultrasounds and such. The higher your blood cholesterol, the more your arteries were being degraded by atherosclerosis. The lower your blood cholesterol. It's never the only factor. If your cholesterol is high and you smoke, double jeopardy. If your cholesterol is high, you smoke, your blood sugar is high, you got some genetic factors, it's quintuple jeopardy. And there are some people with high cholesterol that seem not to develop atherosclerosis. They have some unique genetic or maybe every other factor is favorable. But if in general, because that's all you can say, we don't have a crystal ball, if you have a cholesterol 300, you don't want to keep it there. You want to get it down and you want to ignore the cholesterol confusion books, like the great cholesterol myth kind of books, and ignore that stuff because the cardiology community is so tightly in agreement that lower is better, naturally is preferred. Fiber, 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 beans, beans, beans. Mm -hmm. And what is the number that you recommend for your patients ideally to get down under? Yeah, so I do, I do because of an adult cardiology practice, I do advanced cholesterol labs. So I know they're HDL, LDL, but I know some fancy numbers called their particle number, particle size. But in general, I want their total cholesterol about 150, and I don't mind if it's 110. I might get a little concerned if it were 50. We have drugs nowadays that can make your total cholesterol 50, and we actually have no evidence that that's harmful. Quite the opposite, we have evidence for the advanced heart patient, not just the routine public member. There actually are a lot of studies. There are some genetic inherited um, uh, traits that make your cholesterol low your whole life. There's a very serious side effect if you're born with these traits. You actually live longer than the average American population. I actually wrote one of those papers, over 200,000 people that had complete genetic analysis. And in that subgroup that had genetic defects, SNPs, that favored a low cholesterol your whole life, um, they actually had improved survival. So it's pretty clear cut. You'd like to be like a uh, Okinawan or an Ikarian or a Costa Rican with maybe a native cholesterol of 140 or 150 total. Interesting. Yeah, I got the Boston heart testing and uh, my cholesterol was 100. But what I found interesting was that it also said, based on my profile, that I am a high absorber which mm -hmm. um, in the recommendations it said 
to make sure I'm not eating a bunch of animal products. So I was like, okay, sounds like I'm doing the right thing since my total cholesterol is 100 and um, everything else seemed to be normal. Of course, my HDL was lower than it should be. And I think that that can throw some people off too that eat a plant-based diet and their HDL is not 50 or above. What do you generally say for those patients that they eat a low-fat plant-based diet, cholesterol is pretty low, but their HDL isn't quite at 50? Yeah, a couple of just quick answers. In the studies that were so profound, such as those done by Dr. Dean Ornish, studies that proved that serious heart blockage can actually slowly improve along with a rather dramatic improvement in the way patients felt and their stress tests and the risk of heart attack and such. While that wonderful process was happening by eating a plant-based low-fat content diet, their HDL went down and their triglycerides went up a little bit. So pick your choice. Do you want to have cleaner arteries and a piece of paper that says your HDL went from 42 to 38? Or do you want to just look at the paper and ignore the science that really is the goal, which is to have youthful arteries for your plaque? The other is we're just totally confused in the cardiology world right now about HDL. There was a paper about two months ago that um, people with, there are some women with very high HDL, over 100 which we used to say, congratulations, you know, you're in some super longevity club. This recent paper said they actually have twice the death rate of the general public. And there may be something wrong. It may be chronic inflammation uh, or other infections that actually are driving the HDL up. That's a theory. We're right on the verge of getting better ways to measure the uh, quantity and function of HDL. So I would just tell people, you know, that we're, we're putting HDL in the closet till we understand it better. Awesome. So I'm a pediatrician, so I care very much about starting early and preventing these diseases. We typically think about heart disease and heart attacks in older people, but we know now that children as young as 10 might have fatty streaks in, they, in their aortas. So what can we do to help steer our children in the right path to prevent these diseases happening decades later? Yeah, and I'll just say there's a statistic, I can't quote it exactly, but about a year and a half ago, studies came out that the greatest rise in stroke rates were actually 15 to 25-year-olds in the United States, which wow. is so shocking because of obesity and processed food and salt content and lack of exercise and blood pressure and uh, just nutritional disaster. So, you know, it may start at 10 with fatty streaks, but can you imagine being 18 and having an authentic stroke and the disabilities of a stroke? So it's so crucial. And you know, it's just education everywhere and trying to um, avoid the confusion that's so common. Oh, doctor butters back and this doctor says that. And so I'm just going to go pick up a bucket of KFC for the family so you guys can't get your act together. That is the most harmful and I think an authentic concern from the public. You, you know, I can hear anything anytime on Dr. Oz's show, so I'll just do what I want. And what mama did that tastes good, but uh, not necessarily good for the kids. So we got to come to some common ground. There's an organization, anybody can go visit a website called the truehealthinitiative.org. It's about 400 nutrition experts around the world. Very diverse approaches. Some are pro this or pro that. We've agreed to a kind of core agreement that minimally processed foods, close to nature, mainly plants, mainly water, that's got to be the common statement. And you can add on your little bit of jazz. You like turmeric and this one likes olive oil. But minimally processed, close to nature, whole food plants mainly, and mainly water to drink. We'd be far ahead of the health curve. We got to introduce that in schools. We got to introduce that 
you know, to parents so they can take it home, workplace so they can learn and take it home. And, and it's got to be in the hospitals. It's got to be taught. There's, you know, you could not walk away from a visit to most hospitals and draw up guidelines for nutrition that uh, would actually help anybody. It's, it's abominable. I belong to a university hospital in Detroit where they had a Wendy's for the last 10 years in the lobby. I fought that very hard on social media. So they responded with so much love and support, they put a Chick-fil-A in next to the Wendy's, Harper University Hospital. It's abominable. And my other major hospital in suburban Detroit decided to put a burger joint in the uh, shopping mall they own that's attached to the hospital. They put in Wahlburgers because it becomes a hunky, cute Mark Wahlberg, but his burgers are no better than any other place with uh, Velveeta-type cheese. It's abominable. So we got to do that. The best example I know going on right now is Brooklyn. The president of the borough of Brooklyn is a guy named Eric Adams, one of the most dynamic speakers in the world. And about two years ago, he had type 2 diabetes, and his 80-year-old mother had type 2 diabetes. He was exposed to forks over knives and David Carter, the 300-pound vegan, and what the health kind of you know documentaries. And very quickly, he was no longer a type 2 diabetic. And actually, his mother was no longer a type 2 diabetic. He was so impressed with the experience, he's introduced a lot of curriculum and actually plant-based foods in a number of schools in Brooklyn. And um, they've actually have a few schools that are exclusively plant-based. So, and he, when he speaks, he's riveting because of his own personal experience and his speaking style. So I love to see that. You know, great examples in LA with the Muse School and some others. But this has got to be in Oklahoma and in Louisiana and in you know, Denton, Texas and all over the place. Mm-hmm. But it can just simply start in our homes too. And that's where it needs to start. Parents need to know that it doesn't have to be complicated. Very, very simple. Oatmeal for breakfast, a bean wrap for lunch, veggie pizza for dinner, whole grain crust. You know, you can start as simply as taking the recipes you already know. And in your book, you provide some delicious looking recipes. Um, So the recipes you already know, but making them plant-based and it doesn't have to be all or nothing to begin, but just easing your way into it. So thank you so much for that. Thanks. So you mentioned fish earlier and I want to talk about fish because I feel like fish is kind of like wine in that it just, it's so pervasive that we really have to be eating fish for health and longevity. We really need to be drinking wine for health and longevity. I personally never liked fish even before I went vegan. So that's not even like a, like I don't even want it, but what is your opinion on this fish issue? Do we really need to be eating fish? And if we're not eating fish, what is it about fish that makes the experts so adamant about consuming fish? So there are, you know, there are a few pockets of research. The Adventist Health Study out of Loma Linda, but worldwide looked at long-term survival with various different eating patterns. And the one that was pesco-vegetarian actually eked out survival just a little bit beyond the pure vegan group, but they were both so much better than the omnivore group. And you have to say, okay, there's data like that. You can't flush that. Um, And, you know, we all do need to get omega-3 based foods or substrates, but we can do that in the plant world with our chias and our flaxes and and our greens and our walnuts and such. What I see in my own clinic and in an adult clinic is my routine blood panel includes blood mercury levels. And occasionally it's your silver fillings falling apart, but blood mercury is almost always from dietary fish. Fish contain a lot of fat and they concentrate not only mercury in the fat, 
they concentrate other things called persistent organic pollutants, the highest bioaccumulation of some of these toxins. We've heard of them, DDT, PCBs, are in the fat of fish. Well, I don't measure all those toxins. I measure mercury. About 20% of my patients have quite high blood mercury levels. In fact, it prompts a call from the state of Michigan a toxin department in Lansing you know, to the patient, you know, is your wife or your husband trying to murder you? And then, no, I've been eating at good restaurants. I buy fish at good places. I like sushi. I, uh, eat, you know, I eat shark and tuna and uh, halibut and big fish mackerel. So I see firsthand this, you know, you, you can't see it. You can't put a thermometer in and it gives you a mercury level so you don't eat it. So it's faith-based fishing right now. It's a terrible thing that the world is this dirty and toxic. But it's a real thing. So if you're going to eat fish, don't eat big fish like canned tuna and mackerel and shark. Uh, eat tiny little fish like sardine and herrings, which have the most omega-3 anyways. Uh, try and get them cold water, natural, not factory farm. Or just don't eat them. And in fact, the food industry is going to respond. If you are the kind of person that really likes uh, fried perch or something, there is pea protein fish being developed by a number of companies that have that feel and look, just like the Beyond Meat Burger, some would say, has the feel and look of a beef burger. So you'll see fish substitutes that look like shellfish, that look like uh, you know, freshwater fish and such, coming down the road completely with a, a V on them for vegan. And yes, they're processed, and I'm not rushing to try them, but it's good for the general public to have a few alternatives like that. Well, and another thing, that you bring up in your book is TMAO levels. And I have no clue that fish yielded the highest TMAO levels higher than beef, eggs. I, I did not know that about fish causing that in, from our gut microbiome. Well, it's actually the mechanism of fish is a little different. And in case your viewers don't know, only about seven years ago, the Cleveland Clinic identified a molecule in our blood that nobody knew about before, four letters, TMAO quickly identified it gets in our blood by eating egg yolk, which has choline and red meat, which has carnitine. It gets transformed by our gut and our liver into TMAO. And it can be very, very um, adverse to our arteries, our kidneys. There are over a thousand scientific studies in almost any condition, heart disease, congestive heart failure, diabetes, general public. If your TMAO level is up, your mortality or your disease process is worse than if your TMAO level is normal. The only route we know so far is to stop eating egg yolk and stop eating red meat. Some supplements, and I check TMAO, there's only one lab in America that lets you check TMAO blood levels. That's the one I use. So I've checked probably 2,000 patients' TMAO levels. Some vitamins have a lot of L-carnitine and choline, and my patient's blood levels insanely high. You stop the vitamin, or you stop the egg yolks, or you stop the red meat and they come back to normal, and I think that's a good thing to do. We also know that TMAO causes platelets to clumps. There's some data that that may promote stroke and heart attack. But fish don't have necessarily the carnitine and choline. Fish actually have the TMAO, and so certain fish will rapidly release TMAO from the fish flesh into the bloodstream. It doesn't have to go through the whole other mechanism. There's less known about how adverse that is, other than an elevated blood level is certainly nothing I want in my body. And most plant-based eaters, vegans, will have undetectable TMAO levels unless they're taking some supplements, which they probably shouldn't do of that kind. There's no real reason to do that. Wow, that's really interesting that fish 
contribute directly to TMAO. That's really important to remember. Speaking on the same terms, you talked about the lots of the different reasons why really it's a good idea to avoid eating meat. And something that I had learned recently that it's every single time I tell people it's very shocking has to do with insulin release. So that's a very popular thing to talk about these days is, you know, this is going to trigger more insulin release. um, That's going to trigger more insulin release. And we focus on the carbohydrates, especially on these popular movements like the high fat movement and the paleo movement. We know that higher insulin levels are related to metabolic diseases such as diabetes, but then people are also concerned about weight gain and and that kind of thing because more insulin, you know, leads to storage. So you're going to gain more weight that way. But most people assume that it's just for carbohydrates, but when they've studied different macronutrients, we see that your body responds to protein in a way that's not favorable. So can you tell us more about that and why it's important to be aware of this? Yeah, and there's actually a few adverse um, consequences, theoretically, of protein excess in the diet. Uh, One is what you mentioned. There actually are studies from the 1920s, give a person intravenous glucose, give a person intravenous fats. Actually, the level of insulin release is actually higher with intravenous fats and intravenous glucose, uh, which doesn't completely substitute for eating butter or um, eating a bagel, but it was a trial that could be done under carefully controlled circumstances. And same thing, meat causes some consequences in research studies that most people don't realize. It can be inflammatory, and the blood tests we monitor, the high-sensitivity C-reactive protein can go up after eating meat. Maybe it doesn't go up if you eat grass-fed meat. There's just no data, so don't take that from me. It's just a question. Similarly, insulin is released with meat almost as much as eating a plain white bagel. Um, and uh, it's you know the amino acids. So the other consequence of protein excess, which um, is largely animal-based, uh, and it seems there's a difference between excess animal protein, excess plant protein is that it does activate, particularly certain amino acids in animal products, leucine and methionine, activate some of the aging pathways, some of the damaging pathways. A professor in Los Angeles, Dr. Walter Longo, has spent 20 years and been nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine for work that shows a high-protein diet activates pathways that are going to put wrinkles on your face, age your arteries, and maybe shorten your lifespan. At least they certainly do it in animal models and a low protein diet for most of your life, which is gonna, and and there's a difference between, again, low protein and reducing animal. You might wanna keep the plant-based proteins, which is everywhere, which is, you know, greens and beans and and such, um, seeds and nuts. But anyways, animal protein activates these aging pathways. So he actually teaches a low protein, low sugar diet to slow aging and reverse damage to the body not just in yeast and mice, which you study, but also humans now with amazing human data from uh, a program called Prolon, P-R-O-L-O-N, that Dr. Walter Longo has created. So, yeah, this idea that you need high animal protein content to thrive may be actually the opposite of the true science. And in studies Dr. Longo and others have done, there's a big difference between people who eat a lot of animal protein, increased mortality, and people who eat a lot of plant-based protein actually decreased mortality. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the pendulum seems to have swung the opposite direction where we 
been focused on this high protein. This is like, you know, this gold standard of you can't get too much protein, especially if you want to build muscle. It's just so good. Want to focus on protein if you have diabetes because that's much better for you. But now we're seeing not just for metabolic health, but also for longevity, like you're talking about, that decreasing the animal protein is more beneficial. And I think a lot of people are having a hard time changing the mindset that's been drilled into us for so many years. So I wanted to point that out because um, I think a lot of people feel good when they, you know, choose maybe just like a, a chicken breast instead of eating a bowl of oatmeal because oh, oatmeal is all carbohydrates. It's so horrible for you, you know? Yeah. And so that's very interesting. You had put in there that when they did these studies with the insulin response, beef was equal to brown rice and fish was equal to bread as far as the insulin release. That's amazing. One of the tips that you have for lowering cholesterol is to consume 50 grams of soy per day, such as organic soy milk, tofu, and edamame. But many people are very fearful of soy. Is it safe for women, especially ones that are concerned about breast cancer? And what about men? If men eat soy, are they going to get man boobs and have infertility? Yeah, so uh, yeah, these are you know very important questions because they keep people away from maybe healthful patterns of eating. and. Again, go look in Asian populations where soy is a condiment like we use maybe cubed chicken or cubed beef. They're cubing up tofu and edamame and tempeh fermented soy and adding it into healthy stir fries and other preparations uh, of food. Um, and, you know, it's not clear where the public got the idea. Uh, some people will blame it on a group called the Weston Price Foundation that supports more of an animal-based diet and may have poisoned through various blogs and speakers and books, the public perception. But the real science is clear cut that I would say now organic soy products because the extremely high contamination of uh, soy with um, genetically modified crops that are actually used to feed animals that are in your grocery store as your chicken and your beef and your turkey. But you can select as a human to buy organic soy milk, organic soy ice cream, organic soy cheeses, organic soy edamame and uh, tempeh and such. And uh, so you don't have to worry about that. And in studies done even as recently the last six months, if you've never had breast cancer, but soy is a component of your diet, you're less likely to get breast cancer. And if you've had breast cancer, whether you're estrogen negative or estrogen positive, you're either dropping or you're at least neutral in terms of your risk of developing recurrent breast cancer. But in estrogen negative receptor breast cancer, you're actually improving the odds you're not going to develop recurrent. These are big studies actually done not just in the Orient, because you might say, well, that plays well in Singapore, how does it play in, uh, you know, in Seattle, but these are now studies done throughout the United States. So, yeah, and soy does lower cholesterol. Dr. David Jenkins, a well-known MD in Toronto, created a diet called the Portfolio Diet. Foods that lower cholesterol, let's put them all together in a diet, and soy was a component of it, along with almonds and uh, plant sterols, and it was able to lower cholesterol significantly. So you don't necessarily have to rush to take the prescription cholesterol drug, if you can discuss it with your physician, and get on a plant diet, add these specific cholesterol-lowering foods, have a very high fiber diet, you're a cholesterol absorber. Every time you eat oatmeal and all that soluble fiber is gonna bind to the cholesterol that your bile is dumping in your intestines, you're gonna eliminate the cholesterol and not absorb it. So yeah, it's fiber, it's a great world. No fiber in animals, only fiber in plant foods. And we should actually drop the word vegan and just call us fiberites or something. Maybe a little sexier. Yeah, give me a high fiber. 
I love it. Yeah, and I always say that um, fiber is my favorite F word. I, I love fiber. Fiber, the more the better. Fiber so, is the new black. <laughs> that's right. In one of the chapters of your book, you discuss a more sexy topic, erectile dysfunction, which becomes more common after men reach their 40s. But many men have no idea that there's any relationship between their penis and their heart. So, um, you know, and it's been called the canary in the coal mine. What does erectile dysfunction have to do with a man's heart? Yeah, and uh, just in case somebody doesn't know the term you just used, because I didn't a few years ago, when miners used to go into a mine, they were worried about mine, a carbon monoxide exposure. If they took a, a, a canary in a cage, the canary would die before they died if the tasteless, odorless carbon monoxide levels rose. So. When the canary stopped tweeting and plunked over, they knew to get the heck out of the mind. So, same analogy, if your penis is down, not up, that's your canary dropping dead, and that may be a warning sign that your vascular system is aging, your vascular system is clogging, your, your arteries are unable to make a wonderful chemical called nitric oxide, which when you eat lots of leafy greens and beets and pine nuts and arugula, you make more of So if you have erectile dysfunction, it can be a clue. And the scientific data is three, four years before a heart attack, men often report erectile dysfunction. That's when you want to get in. What's my cholesterol, my advanced cholesterol, my Berkeley or Cleveland heart or Boston heart? You know, what's my blood pressure? All those parameters. Maybe get a heart CT scan called a calcium scan. Get on top of it. Or better yet, 10 years before that, go on a plant-based diet, naturally low in oils, salt, and sugar, naturally high in fiber and nutrients, and you won't develop the risk for the vascular disease unless you have some genetic trait. So that's all true. Um, and even if you've developed, if anybody's watched the just incredible documentary Forks Over Knives, there are some men who've had years of erectile dysfunction on a meat-based uh, Western diet make the conversion to a really pure plant-based diet with, with naturally low in fats without added oils. And we'll see the return of erectile function because they're healing the lining of their arteries called their endothelium where this nitric oxide is made and all of a sudden blood can flow blood can rush down there blood can swell what needs to get swollen so yeah if you can't get a man you know to focus on the risk of stroke or heart attack maybe you can get them on uh, their uh, machismo that you know it's really much more uh, masculine to be eating a massaged kale salad than to uh, having a burger fries and uh, and a malt. If you can, prevent your canary from clunking over. You want to just start right away, eat a plant-based diet. But if your canary does die, you can resuscitate it, right? <laughs> so it's, the hope is not lost. <laughs> I think we've played out this analogy to the canary as well as anybody's ever played it out. And just what people are thinking right now, mine doesn't look like a canary. <laughs> but we've had fun with it, and I think we've caught <laughs> Yes. I agree. A feather in your cap for the canary analogy. So I want to get a little bit more personal with you. What is your favorite go-to meal? Um, well, I eat two a day now because I have actually adopted Dr. Walter Longo and some other you know, really advanced experts on cell metabolism and aging. So I typically eat lunch and dinner, maybe within about 10 hours a day. My kitchen is open. I do own two restaurants, so I have almost unlimited access to food, a very high quality plant-based, but 
I uh, have to still uh, express, you know, self-control. Um, I always love a big bowl of oatmeal. You know, the the, the more steel-cut, uh, bumpy with walnuts, with cinnamon, with nutmeg, with allspice, with berries. I mean, or overnight oats. That's even easier. Go fill a mason jar with some, you know, oat milk and oats and spices and berries. And in the morning, you've got a great grab-and-go, uh, even from the car if you need to, a uh, very healthy meal. Um, so that's, that's a big core. And then really every, every plant under the world. Um, you know, if I want to be a little decadent, we have an amazing barbecue tempeh on a bed of greens with a bed of purple cabbage coleslaw. I mean, you've got purple, you got green, you got the you know the wonderful southern flavor of barbecue tempeh. I'd be a little little light on the barbecue sauce. It's not completely free of added sugar, but a little added sugar won't cause type two diabetes um, unless you eat that 16 times a day and gain 15 pounds. Um, I don't do much dessert. I actually, as I walk through my restaurant and people enjoy these incredible plant-based desserts, cashew-based ice cream, cashew-based cheesecake, pecan pie. Most of them I've never had because I was a chubby kid and I actually have to work on it as a middle-aged adult to maintain, you know, a BMI at the proper rate. Mm, interesting. No, I looked at the menu of the Green Space Cafe and it looks delicious. I actually have a, a marketing idea for you. Uh-oh. You know how they have the, the heart attack cafe where if I you're do. above a certain weight, like if you're you above a certain free. BMI, you get free. So I'm thinking since you promote health, you do the opposite. So people can bring in their cholesterol numbers. And if they're below a certain number, then they get like a free kale salad. 10% off, you know, 10% <laughs> off a appetizer. If you bring in your lab, that's actually a great idea. Or if you've had a four hour erection, you know, you get 20% off. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't a know green, how, how you can prove that you know, one. <laughs> don't, don't, no proof needed. <laughs> okay, Dr. Khan, what motivates you to do the work that you do? You have so much energy, you have so much enthusiasm, you're doing so many amazing things. You inspire me, so thank you so uh, much for everything so nice you do. But what motivates you? You know, I uh, thought about it, and, and clearly people will consistently say passion and purpose and focus, and I have more of that than the average cardiologist. I mean, this is a very important disease. It's very common. People die. It's tragic. Families get disrupted. Spouses never see their loved one. Kids never see their parents. I mean, you know, I go to funerals, and whether it's 51 or 60, I mean, that's it. We're done. No more family time. And uh, knowing that this is a disease that is in large part preventable, in large part reversible, all you got to do is change what you're friggin' buy in the grocery store, in your pantry, what you buy work, little self-control and education, and you've recreated your life. And yet people so struggle with, um, with these changes, but we just got to help and support them. So there's, a, um, there's actually a physician uh, who's different than most, Peter Diamandis. Uh, he's involved in SpaceX and travel and uh, longevity. And he talks about having your MTP, your massively uh, transformative purpose. You know, and my massively transformative purpose is to prevent heart attacks, as many as I can, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, which is why I love seeing patients one-on-one, -on -one, which is what I'm doing today for my clinic right now, and I will as soon as we're done. But if I can speak to 5,000, 10,000, or 50, or whatever, uh, one of the things I've learned to do, and I'll share with you, is anytime I give a public talk, I bring a selfie stick, Wi-Fi, and I do Facebook Live, because that way, 
If I'm talking about heart attack prevention, I did it the other day to 40 people and 4,000 people have watched the Facebook Live. So, you know, it's that ability to just give an authentic, I believe unbiased, very scientific cutting edge approach. You know, dead execs don't get bonuses. Here's steps you can take to find out where you stand and then to prevent the disease. Eat what the canary eats in the cage, you know, seeds. You'll be much better off. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. Final question. I ask this to all my podcast guests. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Okay. Well, I actually answered not a food one since we've talked so much food. I do a, I've done yoga of some kind for about 25 years. I'm not an instructor. Um, I haven't put a playlist together. And I still will occasionally walk in a room and do a hot yoga class for an hour. I find that to be like a three-hour endeavor. By the time you leave your house, yoga, wash up. So I do that occasionally on the weekends. I do a 15-minute yoga flow every darn morning. Hotel, home, airplane, I can do it. It's called the Five Tibetans. And if somebody were to go look on YouTube, the Five Tibetans. It's a rather classic ancient yoga flow. Mainly, any age, anybody can do it mainly focusing on core and back flexibility and health. Partly, there's some fascinating data that as your spine is flexible, so are your arteries. That if you can't reach down and touch your toes, it may not be just that your spinal spaces are calcified, your aorta in the same region, your lumbar aorta. There is actually some science that way, and that you actually might be able to improve both your flexibility and your aortic flexibility by regular yoga practice. Fascinating data. So I do these five Tibetans. The same exact five emotions every day. And when I'm done, I feel five years younger than when I started. So uh, I just absolutely love it. And, you know, it's a mindfulness practice. So then I eat better or I skip breakfast and I'm more controlled that I'm skipping breakfast and just drinking warm water and tea. And the day just starts right. Beautiful. I'll definitely look that up and put a link to where people can find more about the five Tibetans. Where can listeners connect to you and find out more about what you're doing? Sure. Well, the best single place is a website, drjoelkahn.com, but it's D-R for Dr. J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N.com. And that links to Twitter and Facebook, which I'm very active on Instagram, uh, YouTube. I, I enjoy social media, plus many articles, blogs are all there. So it's a fun place to go visit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking time today to speak with me. Thank you for this wonderful book. Everybody should go out and read it. You'll love it. You'll learn so much that will be able to help your health and that of your family. Find Dr. Khan at drjoelkhan.com. Thank you so much for listening and thank have you. a fantastic day. You too. Hope to see you soon again on the West Coast. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R, at veggiefitkids.com.
Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. Yeah.